Hey everybody, welcome to What the What. I am Scott. Jeff. Renee. Oh, I pointed to Renee and Jeff oh. said Jeff. She paused. Typical. I she paused. Typical. I Amanda just jumped in to fill the space. Yep. That's right. That happens. So, typical, so I, very typical. The woman couldn't make up her mind and just blurted out. <laughs> so it has been two weeks since we've recorded a podcast. Do you guys remember how to do this? But the audience doesn't know that. Well, they do now because okay. I just told them. I forgot everything. They probably think we record them just before they go up online. I mean, that's kind of true. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, exactly. So I have a question for you that I've been thinking about for two weeks. Oh. Because it's something that I think about sometimes. And it is, Jeff, Renee, are there any instances where you like the remake or the cover better than the original? Do you want to go or? Hmm. Yeah, I find that that is the case with any Beatles song, because I'm not a Beatles fan. <laughs> any so, Be all Beatles. Sorry, any, Beatles. So every now and again, I'm like, that song's pretty cool. And they're like a remake of the Beatles. I'm like, I'm good with the remake. But they're like, um, Feist has this remake of um, a song, Islands in the Stream. Fantastic. I love it. I love, I love, I love music being remade. I know that remake too and it's like because it's kind of a kitschy song to begin i don't know if it intended to be kitschy initially but it was oh yeah and so there are a lot of like right now these alternative bands that are doing i like when alternative bands do covers of songs sometimes because it sort of it it sort of acknowledges the kitschiness and they'll like really reduce the instrumentation on it or something and just go down to like you know something that's really acoustic or whatever so that's kind of fun when that happens Jeff, what about you? So I actually have almost the same answer as Renee, um, but it, just a little, just a little bit different. Any, just about anybody covering a Bob Dylan song, I like more than the original. Oh yeah, particularly, and, yes. and then like, you know, growing up, one of my favorite artists was Jimi Hendrix, and his covers are are most of the time better than his original songs. His covers are like Hey Joe, All Along the Watchtower, Killing Floor, Wild Thing. Those those were all covers. Um, but it's interesting we both went to music though, because that's very common. Music lends itself to being redone probably more than any other art form. Yeah, in a way that's still an homage to the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, and I think in a way um, it's funny because we'll talk about something sort of like that a little later in the episode when I spring the a topic on the two mm. of you. Um, but it does occur to me that music is like it's kind of an homage at that point. I think did you just say that? Yeah, I sure. think I just mm -hmm. repeated. So great, you did. yes, good job, man. And that. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. right. You know, um, but with other things, it's like it's we're sort of like less likely to go down that road with say like a movie because a lot of times people have this feeling that like the original movie was really good but there have been like lots of science fiction movies and horror movies and movies like that where if you actually go back and look at them the technology when they were making the original movie like it just the movie might hold up but it but the the the, the to our sort of modern viewership it doesn't seem to really hold up that well. And so some of those, I think really some of the later ones are probably for us better and yeah. would have been inconceivable for the people who saw them in, initially. I, I think I think movies actually lend themselves to remakes better than some other art forms because the technology changes so much and, and the, um, the aesthetics change so much. Whereas like stand-up comedy, you cannot tell somebody else's joke you will have Joe Rogan charge you on stage and call you a thief if you do that. 
painting. Can you imagine anybody trying to redo the Mona Lisa and put that up as their own? Like, it's just, it's, it's inconceivable. But music and movies, fair game. Although there is, like, there's this... Um, there's some stuff that happens with Photoshop that is kind of interesting. Like there's this artist who is, um, who will put classical pe people from classical paintings in modern times. And that's kind of like a remix. And right. that, that part is, that was really interesting to, to, to see sort of like that just exposition of those things. But, um, or like Billie Eilish has been Photoshopped into the Mona Lisa and that's been really, it's really well done right, and that's right. really cool too. So I do see that happening and those are kind of fun in a way there's there's nobody at that point that is trying to say hey i came up with the mona lisa first right right and then we get into sometimes like like there'll be like the difference between sort of a remake and a reboot like star trek goes all the way down this road for a long time and then just decides they want to change everything so they just reboot and you know when i was a kid there was no such thing as a reboot pretty much when you had cast the concrete of the story, like that's what the story was, and you sort of had to stick with it or just write a bunch of new characters and make it make it a brand new thing. So um, it seems to me that maybe in this era of, you know, sampling, right, in music, and like we're sort of like recombining, like we're getting more and more sort of used to recombining things in all kinds of like really sort of interesting or not interesting ways, but um, we'll, we'll sort of allow it and uh, uh, that will always happen i mean i like we we like who knows what the iliad is a, is is uh like a remix of right right like, like we we're, we're you know historically we're we're getting the thing that sort of lasted and there's a lot of reasons that certain things sort of come into modern times but those were also could have been remixes of remixes and from a right. you know like we're all just doing that creatively right noah's ark was just a remake of the epic of gilgamesh there you go i don't know if that's true but i'm gonna Oh, it's, it's true. There you it's, go. Do you think Homer had a mixtape and there was something on it like Berzobolus and like it was, you know, a story and he was like, I'm going to lift parts of that story, yes, you know? I mean, he could be. And then yeah. I'm going to burn the, the tablet so that it's lost to history and everybody thinks That's, I came up with it, right? I mean, isn't, isn't Christianity an overlay of paganism? Yeah, You know what absolutely. I mean? We're, we're doing it all the time. We're sort of like, this is... Right. Where, you know, and it's, now it's Jesus. Right. But, yeah. Well, this is a really good point to kind of jump in with something that that sort of builds on that as an idea, or but it's a bit of a left turn. So I want to throw out to you something to to think about, which is cultural appropriation or cultural misappropriation. So when we're talking about a remix or a, maybe a mixtape remix of something, what about the idea that? Is it possible to do cultural appropriation that is not cultural misappropriation? And what, where's the line for cultural appropriation and cultural misappropriation? I want to throw a couple things out for you to think about, and then we can kind of talk about it. So um, Apu on The Simpsons recently, like Hank Azaria, 30 years in, has said, okay, I'm done voicing Apu, to say that Apu, people have sort of called out Apu as like, well, that's maybe a little problematic for some people, right? For a long time, but only recently, there was a documentary by a guy named um, Hari Kondabolu, and I probably got that 
pronunciation pronunciation wrong. I got the pronunciation of the pronunciation of his name wrong. Um, it's called the problem with Apu, and that sort of like got people sort of talking about this idea. And then there was just um, just recently, within the last couple of days, there was this Japanese fashion house that is called Comme des Garçons. <laughs> and again, I totally butchered that. But um, it's a Japanese fashion house, but in English, that means something like like boys. And in their fashion show, um, and it seems like this happens a lot in fashion. They've got a bunch of white guys on the runway with cornrow wigs. And people really called that out and said a lot of people felt like that was offensive. So I'm interested to, to hear from the two of you. I know this is something that we've talked about a lot of times, about where does cultural appropriation that's fine stop and where does cultural misappropriation that isn't fine start are there some hard and fast rules for that like how do we how do we decide that we probably should we have done don't. this show second <laughs> so that we could still be talking to each other <laughs> we might not be talking to each other long enough after this to do the second show and this is where the podcast ended <laughs> right click. i think listen I have, I think I've talked about this on the podcast. I have a very unique culture in the sense that, you know, my dad's from British West Indies. I feel as if really and truly the only other people who share my culture are my brother and sister because we're a really weird mix. So I'm not speaking from a place of having my specific culture appropriated in some way. So I'm it really at this point, it's speculation, right? Like I'm gonna make some assumptions. Um, and one of them is, I think what becomes problematic is when the when we're using imagery iconography motifs art anything that sort of is is from a culture and the effort is to deny that it's coming from that culture so there was this there was this hubbubaloo on the internet a while back because there was this um there was this food article that came out talking about the um the breakfast bread and it's like conchas like it was like those have been around a long time. They are a Mexican delight. Like, and so um, it was interesting that they sort of were celebrating this breakfast bread without any acknowledgement of its cultural heritage, what it was, what it was even called. And they got totally taken down on Twitter, which they should have, because they, they, they had no, they were acting as if they had discovered it. So if you, or created it, actually not even discovered it, but created it. So in those instances, it's really clear that's they're just stealing, straight out stealing. And that was not homage. That was not homage. That no. was taking it and saying, "Oh, hey, yeah, this is kind of a cool idea." Have you guys ever heard of this bread, right. this breakfast bread? It's amazing. And, the, and people are like, "Bitch, we've been eating this for a long time, right?" So it was very. That was a, a very good example of a highly problematic cultural appropriation. Um, but that's one I can think of off the right. top of my head. I was just realizing I'm like, there's, I have a few others, but right. So. <laughs> The, the caveat to this entire conversation is that this, this entire conversation this conversation exists within a world of colonialism where where people from one part of the world has subjugated and, and massively abused people from other parts of the world and it's not it's not just Europeans colonizing other parts of the world the Japanese um, if, if you were in Korea or China your number one enemy is Japan because of what happened leading up to World War two um, if you are if you are from the Nuba Mountains in Sudan, your number one enemy, and even though you are those people are Muslim, 
their biggest threat is Arabic Muslims. So these kind of things happen all the time. It's not just a white people are bad, everybody else is, is a victim. So these kind of, these caveats have to be discussed anytime we have a conversation about cultural appropriation or because it, it exists within a world where there are actual real victims of real crimes throughout history. And power dynamics of yeah. that, yeah. With that being said, I'm of the opinion of nobody owns any culture. Culture by its very nature is is an infinite resource that can be spread as widely or as narrowly as, as, as somebody chooses to be. So I'm just what, what you're talking about, like, like motifs and iconography, nobody owns that. If, if somebody, if, if a white girl who wants to wear a kimono to her prom, it's fine, you know? But likewise, if a Japanese guy wants to wear a baseball hat, that's fine too. Culture spreads amongst, amongst people and that's how, that's overall a positive thing in my I mean, mind. I think with the internet, you know, sounds and images, the two things that it really passes along well, I mean, I'm not talking about sort of content and ideas, but things that are actually physical, you know, everybody around the world is kind of seeing what everybody else is, is doing. And so it's possible to appropriate something and not really even have an idea that, I, I don't know about the, you know, the the food, whether that was a case, you know, if they had just sort of, they were just kind of ignorant of the fact that it came from somewhere else. It sounds like probably not. They actually based it on something. But I think it is possible to possibly see like a particular kind of pattern or something and not recognize where that comes from. Or like if I have socks that have an American Indian native motif on them, like is that, you know, am I appropriating the, you know, that sort of pattern um, just because I kind of like that on my socks and just to out myself. I have in the past had socks that had that. Jeff just looked at my I, feet. I, I I'm, not, I'm not wearing them right, right now. I'm not wearing them right now. But, you know, how, um, you know, and I actually kind of thought about it. Like, you know, how culpable am I in that? I don't have any, you know, I've got no native blood. You know, am I really, am I, am I allowed to wear these socks? I, we're all going to make our own choices about this particular thing. I think the thing that's difficult is that using people's symbols is a form of oppression. And and not all Native cultures have feathers or headdresses. And, and what ends up becoming problematic is when we, we paint a really broad stroke of Native American communities with really simple reductionist symbology and then say, I really love this reduced symbology and I'm gonna use and borrow it. That's kind of the flow of image, that's kind of, to Jeff's point, yeah, that is how that kind of flows. But I think it is problematic of us to not recognize that we're messing with people's symbols and that there's a sacredness to some of the imagery, sacredness to some of the iconography that really can be offensive to people who understand, a, who have a different meaning and relationship to those symbols. So yes, I think there's... <coughs> Sorry about that. I'm so, not so, yeah. Scott's the one with the Scott's, Scott's the new Renee. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think it can be problematic. And I think we have a duty as citizens and community to better understand what we're, what we are putting on us and putting in the world. Is it honoring and, and sort of acknowledging the historical trauma of people or not? And can you do it? Of course. But I think we've talked a little bit about this before in the podcast that doesn't, you don't get to be, you can do it. You can do whatever you want, but you also don't get to be free of consequences from doing those things. If someone else tells you, 
I don't like that you're wearing that symbol because it's sacred to me. You don't get to say that they shouldn't feel that way. I'm going to appropriate and give credit at the same time to Malcolm Gladwell on a recent podcast on revisionist history, um, and which was really kind of got me thinking about this idea. And he he compares in uh, in an episode from season four of that that podcast called In a Metal Mood, <laughs> he compares Pat Boone and Elvis Presley in one particular sort of uh, way. And the way is that um, Pat Boone, who is, you know, an evangelical Christian and um, has, like, is very considered to be sort of very, like, um, middle of the road and appealing to sort of middle of the road white America. You know, he does this metal album where he's singing like Inner Sandman and crazy stuff like that. And Malcolm Gladwell says, well, the interesting thing is that's what Pat Boone does. And he goes back into the history with Pat Boone of Pat Boone singing songs that were written by and performed originally by African-American blues people and other um, uh, other styles than just blues, but some, you know, popular and also maybe more obscure African-American artists. And then um, he sort of, he, he, he jumps over and starts talking about Elvis, who um, a songwriter named Otis Blackwell wrote a lot of songs for Elvis, including Don't Be Cruel, All Shook Up, Return to Sender. He, I mean, this guy is clearly brilliant. He also wrote Fever. He wrote Great Balls of Fire. And what, what they did on this podcast, which was really fascinating to me, is they played Elvis's version of Don't Be Cruel and Otis Blackwell's version, because he also recorded Don't Be Cruel you cannot tell the difference. So Elvis literally not only sort of appropriated the, you know, the lyrics to the song, but it literally the instrumentation, everything is done exactly the same way. Pat Boone's versions of the songs are very different. And so he quotes Little Richard, who initially is talking about Pat Boone doing a cover of Tutti Frutti. And Little Richard says, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm not really happy about his version. It's just really watered down. They interview Little Richard a few years later, a bit later, and he says, you know, I've really kind of changed my mind about that because Pat Boone opened the door to people listening and going, well, that's kind of white bread, but hey, that was written by this Little Richard dude, and it brought a whole bunch of people. So it, it opened a door for people to discover Little Richard. Now, the thing is, you know Pat Boone, if you're as old as I am, you know the name anyways. You know Little Richard. You definitely know Elvis. But how many people know the, the name of Otis Blackwell? Because what Elvis did was he, told, he took that without making any sort of changes or adjustment to it, basically took it on as his own and became famous for that style, which ultimately belonged to Otis Blackwell. And so I believe that Malcolm Gladwell's argument was really the sort of more stand-up of the two was Pat Boone, who was rearranging, re-doing you know, new instrumentation, doing kind of a new take on it. So, so I, I think in this conversation, there's, there's a couple different concepts that easily get mixed up. So I use the example of the, of the girl wearing the, the kimono as a prom dress earlier, because that was actually something that happened. Yeah. This girl, wore, she wore a red kimono, and somebody in Japan was like, hey, that's her. And, 
and that that's a little bit different than somebody actually plagiarizing a song and when we're talking about like early rock music that was that was endemic of white artists even though elvis paid for the song rights and he's listed as the songwriter right so but he didn't change it at all well and what, 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 right, but what I'm talking about is like the actual actual plagiarism. So there are a lot of black artists who um, Led Zeppelin, their, their first album had two or three songs that were taken directly from black artists and not credited, and they got sued for it later on. I'm not talking about Stairway to Heaven, just the, their first album. Um, Rolling Stones, all, all of the, the 60s heavy metal bands stole quite liberally from black artists without giving them proper accreditation. Um, and that's that's not really cultural appropriation. That's just plagiarism and, and theft, and it's theft of intellectual property. But it is, is also stealing from people who have been culturally stolen from over and over and over again, so probably have even less, yeah. often less of a way to defend themselves against that sort of thing. Right. So, and I, so the difference would be like if, like, you know, I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, the blues scale. If, if if the Rolling Stones wants to create a whole new song using the blues scale, somebody could come along and say, well, you're just you're just appropriating my culture. Or, but that's different than them, oh, this person has this song and this lick, we're going to take this lick and say it's our own. Those are, there's, now you, somebody could still have a problem with the, the appropriation, but those are two distinct problems that. I think where it becomes problematic is the instances in which the person who has, doesn't have necessarily the same emotional or cultural connection to whatever it is, ends up making the money off of it. That's the real painful part, is that Elvis is a white face, is a white person, not just face, right? He was the one that got big and made money, whereas the people who, so it's, it's, that's a lot of it too, is you're taking our things and then you're making a freaking profit on it, and that's bullshit, right? And that's, I think, that's that's the pain that's the reoccurrence of the trauma that's the re-traumatizing is that we're gonna steal from you and get rich on it that's the bullshit part i think and so like the the girl wearing a kimono that's that is a cultural conversation that i think is is leads to sort of the nuances of borrowing and honoring that is different from industries and and big figures who, or or um, the um, in the fashion industry borrowing some Mayan or native there was some there was another fashion industry sort of uh, hubbublu about um, borrowing some of the indigenous um, images and making money on it again that's I think where that sort of tension is highly problematic. I think that's a great place to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. So we've been talking about cultural appropriation or misappropriation and kind of where that line is and what even sort of our individual feelings are about, um, you know, can is it actually even possible to misappropriate something? Um, where does it where do where do you individually get uncomfortable with with something with something that you see i mean i'm not saying something that you've appropriated but when you look at something else you're watching a movie and you kind of get that it has a bit of that sort of you know ick factor to it where you go oh i think they just kind of crossed over a line is there a litmus test for that or do we just kind of like feel our way through it well you started off talking about a poo, so, so let's actually talk about that for a second. Um, 
one of I think I think what was really problematic with with Apu was it wasn't just appropriating a cultural symbol, but it was actually presenting somebody from another culture in a derogatory way and in a demeaning and and othering. Uh, uh, in this case, one character, but that character was a stand-in for an entire group of people. So that's that's kind of where, for me, when where that line is is when you start when you start actually presenting other people as an, as something other and and in a in a negative light. Yeah, and I and I a little bit of what I talked about earlier, right? When it's reductionist, when um, it's like generic Native American when it's generic version of something and, and it's like a mishmash. People will be like, that's not that's not the same tribe. Like you're mixing the tribes together. Um, and then that person serves on, as the only representative and that representative's role is auxiliary to this, like it, their, their deck or sect decoration. I think that within story, uh, not just movies, but TV, um, books, when that starts to happen, I think is when it starts with well, that. For me, that's when it's problematic. And so there's, so there's a thing out there called sports, and uh, for <laughs> for for you guys, and within sports, there's. I hear they're going to start putting that on TV. A lot of times, a lot of times, the these different sports organizations or teams will have a mascot. <laughs> yes. Yes. So and some of the and the fighting badgers. Yes. Well, fighting badgers is fine because badgers have no rights. Renee is doing the tomahawk chop right now. Oh no! Don't <laughs> do the tomahawk. She's chop. not. She's not. So, so like I think I think uh, I could be wrong in this, but I think like Florida State University, their mascot is the Seminoles, and they have an actual agreement with the Seminoles to use that. Mm -hmm. And then you have an organization like the professional football team from Washington D.C., and that their mascot is. Wherever, wherever you, wherever we are going to decide to cross the line, they have crossed it. Um, and and, and con context, context is key in any kind of these conversations. So, so I will say, so I, most of you will know that the Washington mascot is the Redskins. So, the owner of the previous owner of the Redskins, Jack Kent Cook. Um, somebody fact check me on that, so I don't. He was without a doubt racist he the, the washington redskins were the last team to actually hire any um black app players and only did so after um the federal government said we're going to kick you out of your stadium because you're you're obviously you're you're intentionally not hiring blacks um the coach going back to i think the 1920s that actually came up with the name redskin Actually lied about being Native American to get out of the out of the draft in World War One. So he was as white as Lily White as I am, but lied about being Native American specifically to get out of going to war, and then use that. And then they they later they use that as justification for keeping the name Redskins. They're like, look, the guy who came up with the name was himself Native, so it's okay. It's like no, the guy himself actually went to jail for lying about being Native. So in, in that context, there, there's absolutely no excuse for that name still existing. Plus, the earliest term of the use Redskin that we know of was from a flyer from Minnesota in the 1800s, where it was, it was a flyer for scalping. And it said, you know, for, for every scalp you bring back the Redskin, you get so much, you know, you get whatever they were paying at the time. So, 
that is, in that sense, everything there with, with that appropriation or misappropriation is vile and disgusting. Mm-hmm. Then, but when you start talking about the Seminoles or the, or the, or the Kansas City Chiefs, it's a little more, it's not, it's, it's a little more gray. I, I would think as a sports team, and I'm not a sports guy, but I would think as a sports team that that they're in a way there's a reverence for their mascots, right? So it sounds to me, if I understand what you're saying, that some of it might be in the language and the intent, which is that's more difficult to drill down to, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You started rattling off all the different names. I'm like, oh, wow, there's a lot of them. Like, more than oh, I thought. Got, I mean, I knew about the Redskins, yeah. obviously, but I forgot about the Kansas City Chiefs, the Braves. The, the Indians, like, the Cleveland Indians. Oh, my God, right. Oh, yeah. man. And um, I'm not quite sure how this ties in, but I was just thinking about John Belushi on Saturday Night Live doing Samurai Night Fever, right? And it's funny. Because he comes out and there are people on the dance floor sort of doing the Travolta thing. And then, you know, this samurai pops out there in samurai gear and he's making these sort of grunty sort of, it's not Japanese, but it just is some sort of made up kind of gibberish language. And we all think that's pretty funny and I still think that's pretty funny. And is that... In some ways, if you thought of it, now Saturday Night Live has a history of being, you know, on the fence of being offensive, and that's part of what makes them SNL. But, you know, is that more or less offensive than the girl in the kimono who was actually sort of, you know, taking that on? You know, is is that a parody of samurai culture? Is it the fact that samurai culture is not, I don't think they're around so much anymore, that maybe it's not so much of a thing? Or is that, do we look back at that and go, oh, maybe they should have thought twice about doing that, looking at it in our sort of, our eyes from, you know, 40 years down the road? I don't think a lot of comedy has aged well. Like, I I, I just, so I don't want to say, like, retroactive, like, it, of the time, did it make sense that that type of comedy came out? Yes. That would be a much more different comedy bit to try to pull off right now, because we've, we have platforms, social media, connections with each other, where a person from, again, from a community can be like, that's bullshit, and call us on it. And because we have those open channels, we don't have the excuse of being like, we didn't know you didn't like that. <laughs> Just, you know, like, you're not, like, get a sense of humor, we get to say to people, right? right. Who calls out in in a non-public way, right? You just pass them on in the hall, and they're like, that was kind of, I didn't like that one. And they're like, ah, get a sense of humor, and then they go, out and continue doing it, right? But now on social media, you can bring people to task in a way that I think is good. Not to say there isn't problems with cancel culture, but but that's, I, I think comedy is probably the one place where if you go back, oh, it's rife, rife with a lot of, a lot of problems. Sexism, racism, all those things. Yeah, all right, so stop me if, Stop me if I start talking too much here, because this is this, You're about ready to, this well. This, this is like, a topic that I kids. Yeah, this this is a to, this especially when it gets into comedy. This is a topic that I've I know a little bit about, and I actually started doing stand up comedy specifically for this reason. Um, so if you there's an early episode of Politically Incorrect, Bill Bill Maher's first show, and I don't remember everybody that was on the panel. He would have four guests. One of them was Sarah Silverman, and then there was and I. I, I saw this like about five years ago, so I, I'm definitely not going to remember his name. But there was a, a gentleman from 
uh, like the Asian Defamation League. Mm -hmm. And he was there to confront Sarah Silverman for a joke that she had done about Asians. Bill Maher, if you know anything about Bill Maher, nothing is taboo for him. He's, it's, it's, everything is fair game. Sarah Silverman was saying, look, this is fair game. And this guy's like, look, what you said was offensive to me and a whole bunch of people like me. And they just would not, absolutely would not cop to any responsibility for, for their actions. In their mind, we're comedians. Because we're comedians, we get to say whatever we want. And I've always had a problem with that stance. So here's, here's my rule for comedy. Within, within the telling of a joke, there's, there's three people. There's the person telling the joke, there's the person hearing the joke, and then there's the butt of the joke. If the butt of the joke is the further away from the, further away from the, the speaker and the listener that the butt of the joke is, the more offensive, the more racist and sexist it is, the more you should probably rethink telling that joke. If you, you if, amongst a group of, of friends or amongst a you know a, an in-group if if they'll probably tell jokes like black people tell jokes about other black people to themselves all the time asians do it all the time white people do it all the time and that's not offensive because everybody's in together mm -hmm. but once you start talking about somebody who's who's outside of that group you really should think twice about doing that punching up or punching down kind of idea punching up punching down so that goes to the next thing i was gonna i was gonna talk about is the superiority theory in comedy, and this goes. This was like the, the 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 Greeks had this theory of of what we found funny, what comedy was, and this was pretty much the only theory of comedy until like the 1900s. But basically, the the superiority theory of comedy is we find things funny that reinforces our social hierarchy that places us mm -hmm. above somebody else. So punching down is rein, reinforces a, a, that political structure. So, you know, gays are fair game to be joked about because they're at a, a lower lower status than than heterosexuals. According to this theory. Right. 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 Yeah. No, I'm not actually saying they are, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but within within the majority of of, of American world history, they they literally Correct. are. Yes. Um, they don't have the same rights blacks historically, so. Like when I did my comedy, this was right after I graduated from a, with a degree in anthropology. I intentionally tried to subvert that logic and failed spectacularly. <laughs> so I would take I would take jokes that we've heard our entire lives that are based on race, and I just inserted white person instead of black or Hispanic. And <clears throat> actually, a oh, quick quick story. So I was I was at a bar here in town called. Um, is it the hut? Yeah, the hut. Mm -hmm. How long ago was this? Uh, this would have been two thousand nine. Okay. So I'm doing I'm doing my routine, and I had this whole string of jokes where I told regular racist jokes. I just inserted white person instead. So so if for if you've been to the hut, for those of you who might be in Tucson, you know that this bar is particularly long, and the stage is at one far end, and the bar is like a hundred feet away. So there's this group of guys that are at the far end of the bar. I have no clue they're even listening to me. I think there's like two other comedians actually paying attention to what I'm saying. So I start telling this joke, what's, um, what's long, white, and smells like shit. The punchline would be the unemployment line. But as I say, it was long, white, smells like shit. Some dude from 200 feet away yells, you do. I was like, 
Never telling that joke. <laughs> but I'm punch. Walk, walk, like right, walk right into set, that. The setup was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll give him props. I was I didn't even know he was listening. That's a slow clap. But but that that's to me that's where it starts becoming when you when you're when 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 comedy is punching down on somebody, um, it, that's that's really when it crosses a line for me. Which is why my favorite form of comedy. That's an interesting idea. What you were talking about with the three sort of the sort of three dynamics that play at comedy, is when the teller of the joke is also the butt of the joke. That that's a very safe comedic approach because then that power that power difference is n nil, right? And so we're allowed to laugh at this person because they're putting themselves forward as comedic fair. I feel no guilt laughing about that. At the same time that. And guilt makes it sound like I actually laugh at those other things because I think they're funny and then feel bad. I don't even laugh at those. I don't. I don't find those. Those. I don't find sexist jokes, race jokes, funny, at all. Not even secretly. It, I don't understand that form of it. So. It's funny because for me, the self-deprecating stuff just usually just kind of bugs me oh. a little bit. But but I do agree. Like I just like, I, I to me, I'm glad I'm not a comedian because. I, the you know the racist stuff like not I would want nothing to do with any of that and so much of it that seems like in a lot of ways it's kind of a staple of you know what people say to laugh about but there I think that there are people out there that you know have a bit of a higher calling and are able to kind of work and be famous and make a lot of money without doing it so, yeah situational comedy is also some yeah. kind of thing too it's yeah. not all self-deprecating yeah. yeah but yeah the, the, the best comedy punches up yeah. George, George yes. Carlin Richard Pryor yeah and I think politicians are fair game. So yeah. <laughs> take down any of those dudes They've agreed to or ladies. Public space, correct? Yes. Yeah, it's actually an obligation of the citizens to citizens to to mock them for right. their. Yeah. You know this um, Hari Kondabalu, again, probably said that wrong. Who did the documentary The Problem with Apu? He he had a really nice quote. I'm paraphrasing the quote, but he's, but he's talking about the Simpsons because he doesn't hate the Simpsons. He actually likes The Simpsons, and he says you can love something and still be critical of it. And so to me, that's one of the things that, that like, I think of I don't necessarily want to throw out like every Saturday Night Live with episode yeah, with, um, you know, with Samurai Night Fever in it, but I want to watch it with kind of new eyes now and look at it and, and know that like, you know, we've had 40 years to be thinking about this kind of thing. And, and maybe now that wasn't sort of the best use of the comedy platform or that sort of thing. And, you know, I, maybe, I, I, you know, maybe people in Japan thought it was incredibly funny or maybe they did. I have no idea. I have no way of knowing that. Um, but there are so many things out there that I think, um, you know, it, it, I've mentioned on this podcast before that I'm rewatching the office that that we're going through and just watching it from the beginning. And I kind of felt like when I watched The Office for the first time that it was a pretty woke show. And it made fun of things that were like, it made fun of people who weren't woke by showing the sort of foibles of these people. And then there are a couple of people who are moderately woke within the cast who then end up being the sort of straight people in some ways for everybody else. But, you know, um, Watching it from not that many years ago, there is stuff that I think that, you know, I don't think they would have done it that way. Again, I just saw a scene where um, uh, Kelly Kapoor is, 
you know, asleep in an office and Dwight Schrute comes in and bangs some um, some trash can lids together to get her to wake up and, and walk out. And she totally was allowed to be there asleep. He's just like, that's her alarm clock. And as she walks out the door, he just pats her on the butt. And I think we looked at it initially and thought, oh, that was really inappropriate. And now we look at it and we're a little more meta in how inappropriate that was. It's like, right. oh, yeah, that was really inappropriate. And I'm not sure it should have been in the show without somebody saying so. Not that it shouldn't have been in the show, but maybe there should have been something like, you know, she should have turned to him and said, that was really inappropriate and kept going. But that's not funny. It's not. But there is the they have a whole episode about an HR episode where it like they, they play, diversity day. Yeah, diversity. It's day. the best. It's one of the best. And I think yeah. they're very aware. They are a very meta show. They're trying. Yes. And they're trying in the time frame that they're in. And I think that the writers would have written like just small pieces of it like that. My guess is they, they probably would have done it differently. So, you know, for, for those who are trying to be sort of on top of this stuff and thoughtful about it, I mean, we there is a bit of an evolution to it. I mean, the fact sure. is that even after 30 years, The Simpsons did decide to pull that character because they've woken up to kind of thinking about it a little bit. Although I think Lisa did say, looking at his picture on the wall, don't have a cow. So I think that there was a bit of sort of internal strife over not really wanting to make Apu go away. Yeah, that didn't happen quickly. Mm. That's been a fight for a while, truthfully. Yeah. So are we in on appropriation, misappropriate? Have we been misappropriate? Have I misappropriated Listen, the two of you? The real <laughs> you misappropriated <laughs> us. Um, I think this is particularly as I've seen this conversation happen on multiple podcasts because the truth of the matter is, uh, yes, of course, we've we've misrepresented, we've misspoke, we've misappropriated. There's a learning curve we have as we're putting our material into the world. People are going to call us on some stuff and we want to be defensive, but we're going to just have to be like, you're right. I did not. I spoke from a place without doing my work and I need to go do some work first. That's inevitable. So I think if we feel okay with that, it's not gonna be comfortable because growth is not, um, we'll be okay. But we just have to know. Yeah, someone's gonna listen to this podcast and be like, you idiots, or whatever they're gonna say. You crackers. No, not me, I'm not a cracker. They'll say that about me. The two of you, yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would say, as, just as a mental exercise for, anybody, for you guys or anybody that's listening to this, try, try to imagine the converse. Try to imagine a world where everybody was adamantly opposed to cultural appropriation and tried to regulate their behavior to never appropriate any other culture. And it would, we would never have Star Wars. It, it, you, we would lose so much. Yeah, Star yeah. Wars came from the hidden fortress, Kurosawa. Kurosawa. And, but that came from Shakespeare. Or definitely bits of Kurosawa's, definitely his filmmaking was very Shakespearean, so. Yeah, and, and the truth of the matter is, a lot of blending and merging and, and culture. Like my mother's Mexican, my dad's British West Indies. Mm -hmm. Like that's emerging right there, right? right? Like, yeah, that happens everywhere and awesome and it's beautiful and it's great. Um, um, that part is, is happening seamlessly every day between people and communities that rub up against each other, um, which is, I don't want the end to that. That's not, I don't think that that's the, the answer is that we stop those things. I think it's. But let's not do it at the expense of other people. Correct, yeah. When right. we can avoid that and yeah. when we're conscious of it. Yeah. Right. Like you said, punching up. Like if in our lives we're trying to punch up, like I think that's a pretty good model. I have so much violence. I'd love to punch up. Let's do it. <laughs> she punches us up all the time. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> what if, we always forget to do something at the end of the podcast. We Renee, also forget what to do we it forget at the beginning. To do? 
We do it all the time. We gotta. We want to ask people, rate, review, and share our podcast if you like it. How do ratings work? Is it stars? Yes. Or diamonds? I don't know. I don't, I don't do podcasts, so. <laughs> it's a 46-tier, point-tier system, and then people, no, it's stars. It's whatever po- whatever platform ratings are big, are big thing. So we want we want five stars. I mean, in a night... People should rate us based on what they actually think. What's really good are reviews. So write a couple words. Let us know what you think. Unless unless you don't like it, then do keep we get, your opinions <laughs> Do we get extra credit if people put unicorn emoticons in the reviews, you, or is it just the same? <laughs> Listen, they get extra credit in our hearts. <laughs> in our universe. Yes. Good. So I think we just said what we were supposed to say that we always forget to do. So that was cool. There's more. There's more. We haven't said what we're into. What are we into? What are you into? I have recently, because there's been no shows to watch on TV, because there was this thing called the winter break with shows. Oh, because there's no shows. There's wait, Renee. There's no shows on TV. There's no. Just think about what you said. There's nothing. I all my shows, all the things I watched, they were all on hiatus, right? So like. So you've been through everything on the Golf Channel. I have actually. I was going to make a golf joke, and I did not even know enough about golf to make a golf <laughs> joke about that. Um, so I've started playing some games again, um, and I am very... I intentionally do not have a gaming system because I don't know that I would leave my house if I had one. I really love games. They're really, really fun. So I, I work on an iOS system, and there's this really beautiful game called Bet- the, the Garden Between, which is um, a, a time... Basically, it's a game where you're messing with time, moving people backward and forward with time, which you think I wouldn't like because I don't like time stuff, but it's very entertaining. Puzzles are really great. I'm always a fan of puzzles. So that one is superb. I recommend anyone who has an iPhone to to get that one. So not you, but probably wouldn't play it on your phone anyway, right? I, I, I've i tried doing a couple games on the phone. The, the in-game purchases, I detest with a passion. Oh, so. no. This one, you just, you just have a flat rate. You just buy it, and then you yeah. experience it. It's so beautiful. The graphics, the graphics they have now with, with games... Oh, stunning. Yes. Uh, so I've just a couple days ago saw my first movie of 2020. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was called. Oh, Underwater. Oh, I just saw that. Yeah. It was all right. I liked it, it a fine. lot. It I liked it a lot. Now, that fine. looks to me from the previews like it's kind of like a haunted house You would movie. not like it. Yes. No, it's not. I would it's never It's like they're stuck, stuck in an environment, like bad things are going to happen and they can't get out. It's very Lovecraftian. There has mm-hmm. There's like a giant sort of final boss Cthulhu that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. out there yes. and we it's, don't know what it looks like. Exactly. It was surprisingly literary. So it sounds like it's exactly like... I like, got real excited. But oh, it's, no, go ahead. It must be exactly like The Lighthouse. Renee's favorite movie of 2019, The Lighthouse. Oh, God. No, it's much better than The Lighthouse. (laughs) Wow. Kind of of ridiculous that Kristen Stewart had to be in underwear and bra the whole time. That was a stupid plot point. But it was, again, very literary. It was also, I think that was also an homage to Alien. Correct, I agree. Yes, it had very Alien vibes. It felt like it. it, And it's the same kind of situation, like a, a... a controlled environment that's hostile, like just out, so you can't like just step out into space, Correct, or you yes. can't just step out into a planet, and you can't just like, oh, I think I'll open the door and walk out in the water, yeah. right? Would you mind if it was like, oh, who plays Thor? Chris? I would not mind. Yeah, okay, just as long as we get that on the record. Nope. <laughs> Scott? So what I've been, um, I just have a song. 
What? But it's really like, and uh, it, it ties all the way back into what we asked about at the beginning of the show, which is, is there something that you like that's a remake or a cover? And I am just totally into, I like Frank Turner anyways. And for anybody who's not familiar with Frank Turner, he's kind of this sort of like post-punk, folky sort of guy, but just this unique one-off. And um, he has a remake of Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. And I like Born to Run anyways. It's just sort of of an era. It makes me feel a little bit nostalgic. And I just love Frank Turner's version of that. So that's what I'm into. Playing that on repeat? Yeah, playing it on repeat. <laughs> that's great. You want me to sing it right now? Yeah, please no, do. No, I don't. A couple bars. Come uh, on. Highways jammed with bro. That's it. That's all you get. So People. Good. So, And we did what we were supposed to do at the end. And we weren't even at the end, as you reminded me. What? We weren't at the end. We said no the thing correct. we were supposed to say. But what we want people to do is... Rate, rate review, us. and subscribe. Rate, review, subscribe. Unicorns extra, and, and that's fine. Yeah. And where, where can people find us? Facebook, Twitter, email, at... at yeah. So on, on Twitter, it's at w, WTW Popcast. That's P-O-P-C-A-S-T. I believe that's also our uh, Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah. It is. W, yeah. All right. Okay. We're all in yes. agreement. Yeah. <laughs> it still is. And look for us pretty much anywhere podcasts are sold because we're, we're giving away we free. Think we're just about everywhere. So, yes. And yes, ours is free. So, when they're selling podcasts, think of what a deal ours is because <laughs> of how amazing it you is. You get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. Yeah. And it's great. So, I think that's it. Have we appropriated misappropriation? We have. That's good. I feel good about it. How about you guys? Yep. Not about misappropriation. I feel bad about misappropriation. Correct. All right. So I think we're out of here. I'm Scott. I'm Jeff. I'm Renee. This is What the What. Thanks for listening. What the What? What the What?